0: This podcast is administered of Rosemont Baptist Church in Island, Georgia. For more information, visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we thank you again for the opportunity to study your word, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity just to open the scriptures, Lord, and to understand uh, from your word, Lord, the truth of our lives. And so I pray, Lord, we would take the things that we learn. I pray that we would apply those truths to our life, Father. And I pray that we would leave here transformed, changed more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, Lord. And then I pray that you would keep our minds free from distraction as we study so that you can work in our minds and our hearts, Father. May your name be glorified. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a quote by a man named J.C. Ryle, who was a famous pastor in England in the 1800s. And here's what J.C. Ryle said. I love this quote. He said, Nations are nothing but a collection of families. The good order of the family depends upon keeping the highest standards of the marriage tie. And so we ought to be thankful that the great head of the church had a definite opinion about marriage and family. Now, at the heart of the family... Is the marriage. At the heart of the family is the husband and the wife. But we know in our country very clearly, just from living a normal life and watching television and reading the newspaper, that marriage is under attack. We know that. We read statistics that tell us that the marriage rate hovers some, excuse me, the divorce rate hovers somewhere around 50%. We see statistics that tell us that the United States of America is in the top 10 consistently in divorce rates of any country in the world. We know that even in our current context in America today, marriage itself is being debated. Is it important? Should we do it? What does it even mean? Now, it's one thing for us to talk about what a marriage is, and it's one thing for us to talk about the difficulties of the marriage in the world. And we can look at the statistics and all the different problems that people deal with in marriage, but here's the problem, here's what I can't quite get out of my mind. When I look at marriages within the church, I see a lot of the same problems. I see a lot of the same issues that people deal with in the church as I see issues in people that are dealing with outside of the church. And so we've been praying as a staff for a long time about how we could strengthen marriages, how we could help marriages. What could we do as a staff to try to help people that are struggling or, or people that are at some point in that process and not exactly sure what they're going to do or people that have a strong marriage. What can we do to strengthen those marriages? And so one of the things we're doing, you've seen the video. We've been talking about it for about a month now. This Friday and Saturday is a marriage conference, the Art of Marriage. I want to invite you to be a part of that. I already talked about this morning for a minute. It's $40 a couple, and if you can't go, we'll pay for you to go. We'll provide you child care. You can get all the information online you need about it. You can register online. You can register in the breeze way. We've made this as easy as it can possibly be for you. But I want you to consider being a part of that. I want you to consider inviting a friend, an unlost person, or somebody maybe that's having an issue in their marriage. And I don't want you to think this is just for struggling families. This is for everybody. No matter where you are, you can strengthen your marriage. And so with the idea of marriage and with the idea of the marriage seminar coming up next week, and I wanted to preach this morning on the model marriage. Because believe it or not, the Bible has got a very clear plan for marriage. And it's got very clear principles by which we can live by and we can operate under in our marriages. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, the model marriage. Now, God understands the world is difficult. (laughs) That's not a surprise to anybody. It's not as if God just kind of looked down this morning and thought, Wow, what happened? What's going on down there? God is very aware of the sin that's entered our world. God is very aware of the difficulties that this world faces. God is very aware of all those things. But he's laid out for us a strategy and some very clear principles that will help us understand exactly what a marriage ought to be like. So we're in the book of Matthew. Chapter 19, verse 1. The context here is Jesus has already told his disciples he's heading for Jerusalem. Now you may remember Jesus had done a lot of miracles. Jesus had taught and preached and traveled around. But at some point it becomes evident that Christ has got to go to Jerusalem. It's time for him to hand himself over to the chief priests, to the teachers of the law. It's time for him to be arrested, beaten, tortured, crucified, buried. And eventually on the Thursday he'll, on the third day he'll, ride again. he'll rise again. Now, at this point in Scripture, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus is heading for Jerusalem. He's turned his face for Jerusalem for that final journey. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 19, verse 1. Now, Jesus, when he had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Now, he's leaving Galilee. He's beginning to head south, verse 2. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Now, Matthew chapter 19, verse 3. Some Pharisees came up to him to test him, and they asked, it is, law, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, let's stop there just for a second before we move on. Because here's what's going on in this scripture Jesus has got this large group of followers. Jesus is going to begin to walk very slowly southward to Jerusalem. And the Pharisees, as they've done oftentimes, are very threatened by Christ's popularity. They don't like the fact that all these people are following him. They don't like the fact that all these people are listening to his teaching. They don't like the fact that all these people are doing what he tells them to do. And so they look for every possible opportunity to trick Jesus, to trap Jesus, to ask him some sort of a question that he can't answer. So here's what they've done. They said, you know what we need to do? We need to ask Jesus about divorce. Because when we ask Jesus about divorce, all of his followers are going to listen to his answer. And no matter how he answers, those followers are going to come down either on the camp that they agree with his answer or they disagree with his answer. And so the Pharisees thought, if we can ask Jesus this question, if we can trip him up, if we can trap him, we'll separate his followers, we'll reduce his popularity. Now Jesus does something very interesting. He always does this. Anytime they ask him a question that he knows knows is an attack, which is oftentimes from the Pharisees, instead of answering that question directly, he turns the conversation to biblical things. So instead of answering the question that they ask specifically about divorce, what Christ is going to do instead, he's going to answer the question about marriage. Now here's what he understands. You say, well, why would Jesus answer a question about marriage when they've asked him a question about divorce? Here's why. He wants to say to these Pharisees, before we even think about divorce, let's be sure we understand what a biblical marriage looks like. Before we waste our time talking about the what if of separation or eventual divorce, let's not even think about that until we can pinpoint exactly what a biblical marriage looks like. And so Jesus delves in in verse 4 to the answers. to so now, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. He answered, have you not read? Now, I want to I stop there for one second before I keep going through this and, and point to the fact that Jesus is referencing the Bible here. Now, these Pharisees understood the law. They understood the Old Testament. They had read and studied and they knew exactly what the Scriptures taught. And so Jesus said, haven't you read? Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to say to these Pharisees, when I answer this question about divorce and when I speak about marriage, I'm not going to do it based on the latest trends. I'm not going to do it based on what you think the right answer is. I'm not going to do it based on what your friend thinks the right answer is. I'm not going to do it based on what the society thinks the right answer is. Christ says, I'm going to base my answer very clearly on the Bible. It's the foundation. And we can't understand the principles of marriage outside of the Scripture. So Christ begins, haven't you read? In other words, hey, you guys have studied the law. It's right in there, haven't you read this? So haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female. Now verse 5. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his wife. Excuse me, let me back up. Can we edit that out of the tape? So I'm going to stand here and just start like they don't know what's going on. Okay, here we go. Chapter 19, verse 5. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother... And be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Now verse 6. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore what God has joined together. Let not man separate. Now this is a very interesting passage of scripture here. Because Christ is going to paint for us. A picture of marriage. And he's going to paint for us. A picture of marriage. That's not just a casual union. It's not just some agreement between two people. It's not even something that the government can sanction. He's going to paint a picture of marriage here that says that from the beginning, from the beginning of the created order, God had a plan. Now you can imagine a stool here. If I was sitting on a stool with three different legs, Christ is going to give us three different things in this passage of Scripture that's going to help us understand marriage. And I would argue that all three of these are foundational marriage. If you take any one of the three away, the stool falls. If you take away any one of the three things within the marriage Covenant, if you take away any one of these three things that Christ teaches, the marriage is going to fail. Here's the first thing he teaches. We're going to delve into this. Number one, God places a priority on marriage. God places a priority on marriage. Now, now Jesus has done something very interesting here in Matthew chapter 19. Some of you may have recognized this. Some of you may not have recognized it. But Jesus, when he reminds the Pharisees that they should have already read this, is reminding them as he goes all the way back and quotes this passage of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So Jesus says, you, you should have remembered this, guys. God talked about this in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. Now, here's what's important about Genesis 1 and 2. It was the creation of the world. Do you remember the story? God said, let there be light, and there was light. God created the stars. He created the moon. He created all the things on the earth, all the plants, all the animals. And then his crowning achievement in the creation story is he created Adam and Eve. He created human beings in his own image. So God says, I'm going to create all this stuff, and the crowning achievement of my creation is going to be Adam, and it's going to be human beings. So here's what Jesus says. If you're going to understand marriage, you need to back up to the creation story. If you're going to understand marriage in a biblical marriage, and a model marriage, based on the principles and the teachings of Scripture, you need to back up to the beginning Because for God, the beginning, the creation of Adam and Eve, and bringing them together in union, was foundational to everything God was going to do. So here's what God does. He creates Adam and Eve. He brings them together in this union. And then he gives them this rule. Here's what you need to do. Now you don't have to flip back and you don't have to look at this. But I want to read for you in Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Here's the charge God gives to Adam and Eve. Here's what he says. God blessed them and he said to them, here's what he says to Adam and Eve, here's their their charge, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here's what God says, I'm going to establish my reign, I'm going to establish my glory, I'm going to establish my kingdom throughout the whole earth I'm going to do it through Adam and Eve, through the marriage, you understand that. So as Christ begins to talk about the marriage and the importance of marriage, he reminds the Pharisees and the leaders of the law that this is foundational to everything that God had called man and wife to be. So here's what marriage is not. Marriage is not so you can glorify yourself. Marriage is not simply for self-gratification. Marriage is not just so you'll have a, a partnership or a friendship. Marriage is God's plan to rule and reign over the earth. And Christ says, before we can even talk about what marriage is, before we can even talk about the importance of marriage, you need to understand this is foundational. It didn't just happen yesterday. It's not just something a government said should happen. It's not just something some pastor says should happen. From the beginning, God had a plan, and he wove into his plan, into the fabric of society, this idea of marriage. Now I want you to look again at Matthew chapter 19, verse 5. Now here's the... Beginning of marriage, as far as Christ's teachings is concerned. He says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 5, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or be united to his wife. Now here's what we're not saying. We're not saying that a husband and a wife should separate from their parents and never speak to their family again. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying that a husband and wife should separate from their brothers and sisters or from their aunts and uncles. We're not saying any of those things, but here's what we are saying. When you get married, your spouse has to be your priority. Your spouse has to be first. Nothing else. Not mom, not dad, not brother, not sister, not aunt, not uncle. Those those people are important and we want those people to be a part of our lives and we want them to speak truth in our lives and we want to still be around them and love them. They be a part of what we're doing. But ultimately, the priority of marriage is that we love our spouse and our spouse must come first. Now this is difficult for younger couples oftentimes. It's difficult for younger couples because they're, they're still accustomed to mom and dad, right? And so you get in a big argument. I read a story about a young lady who called her dad. She just got in a big argument with her, with her new husband. They were newlyweds, and she called her dad, and she was all upset and crying. He got on the phone, talked to her for a few minutes, and he hung up. He came, sat back down. He was real calm. And the, the wife said, well, what's going on? What did she say? And, and the dad said, well, she said she was pretty upset. And, and, the, and the wife said, well, what, what else did she say? Well, she said she wants to come home. And the wife said, what would you tell her? He said, I told her she was home. <laughs> I'll, I'll never forget. When Amy and I were first married, we, we got into a little disagreement, right? I know it's probably hard to imagine, you know, we'd ever get into a Yeah, We got into a disagreement. And, and uh, we were living a long way from home, so we couldn't just run home to each other. I mean, each, uh, uh, to mom and kind of cry on mom's shoulder. And so Amy got upset and she said, you know, I just, I'm, I need to drive around for a little while. Now she wasn't going to leave. It was none of that. She just needed to get away and drive away. And I just remembered the passage of scripture that talks about us being one and the unity. And, and I remember very clearly, it's so silly as I think about it now, but I think God used it. I took off running. This is so silly. I took off running. I ran out of the house and I jumped in the passenger seat of the car. <laughs> and I said, if you're leaving, I'm going with you. You're welcome to drive around if you need it, but I will be right here beside you as you go. Now, we laugh about that, but God has said to us, our spouse has to be our priority. It's, that's got to be first. If you've got any other relationship or anything else in your life that's ahead of your spouse, you're going to have issues. But see, we, we live in a world that's fast-paced, don't we? And so you say, well, Adam, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, i got work, Right? i got priorities of other things I'm, I've got to deal with in, in, in certain parts of my job. And, and by the way, we've got some kids now. You would not believe the amount of stuff we got to do. And you know, Amy and I sat down a couple of weeks ago and we drew out our schedule for our kids. I mean, you talk about between art and soccer and you know gymnastics, whatever, ballet. There's no time to do anything. I mean, literally, we're driving back and forth. So we had to say, you know, we're going to have to cut a few of these things out. We can't do them all. But here's what so many people do. They get so involved in the things of life that they don't put a priority on their marriage. Now, I want to tell you something. I need you to hear me here, folks. Baseball is good. Dance is good. All those things are good. But the best thing you can ever give your kids is a good marriage. If your kid's an all-star and your marriage has failed, that's not the kind of home you want. Trust me. If your kid is the best dancer, the best singer in the world, and you've got a failed marriage, that's not the kind of home you want. God says you need to put a priority on marriage. You need to make sure it comes first. You need to set aside anything that keeps you from making that marriage a priority. If there's something else in your life that's that's keeping you away from home or something else that's keeping your mind on something it shouldn't be on, you need to set forth a priority because from the beginning, God said this is the foundation of society. This is the priority. This is how I'm going to build my reign and my rule across the earth. To God, marriage is a priority. Now, secondly, we read through verse 5 again. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Verse 6, they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. So we see, first of all, that God has placed very clearly a priority in marriage. Number two, we see that God created a passion in marriage. God created a passion in marriage. Two people become one flesh. Now this is very interesting as I thought through how I was going to teach this. Amy's in the 930 service and I started, you know, I kidded her all week about, oh, passion and marriage. I'm going to tell some stories. She's like, you better not. So I, all the things I could have said about marriage and passion, I'm, of course I'm not going to do any of that. But we think about passion and marriage and of course the first thing we think of is physical passion. We understand that. Sexual union. That's exactly what this passage is talking about. We understand that. But I think we need to move beyond that sometimes because that's not the only focus of this passage. God says you Take two people, you make them one person, and you certainly should have passion physically, but you need to have passion in other things. You need to share your hopes and your dreams and your fears. You know, man, if we we talk honestly with each other, passion for us physically is kind of easy, right? But are you passionate about communicating with your wife? Are you passionate about coming home and hearing what kind of day she's had? Not as much probably, right? Sometimes it's difficult to, for us to be as passionate in certain other things as we are in the physical realm. But God says the two have become one. And so I would argue that it's in every sense, right? In everything that we do, we should be one. It amazes me when I talk to couples that are struggling or having different kinds of issues how they've kind of separated certain things in their life. No longer are they one. They've got their own deal they do here, and the spouse does something else. And they've got one set of friends, the spouse's got another set of friends. They've got one set of activities, the spouse's got another acti- set of activities. That's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that we should be one in all things physically and emotionally and spiritually. And so, guys, sometimes we think, well, you know, what, what could I do to, to, to make this right? How, how, can I, how can I make things better in my life? So I've got five things I want to give you here. Five things that are being very important. Guys, you want to write these down because they're going to help you in your marriage. There are five things you should never buy for your wife. This is very serious. There should be no laughter at this point. Number one, don't buy anything that plugs in. Anything that requires electricity is seen as utilitarian. Number two, this is very important. Don't buy clothing that involves sizes. The chances are one in 7,000 that you'll get the size right. And your wife is going to be offended the other 6,999 times. Number three, don't buy anything that involves weight loss or self-improvement. That's out. Number four, don't buy jewelry. The jewelry your wife wants, you can't afford. And the jewelry you can afford, she doesn't want. Number five, finally, don't spend too much because she'll say, how are we ever going to afford this? But at the same time, don't spend too little because she won't say anything, but she'll think... Is this all I'm worth? I made the mistake one time early in our marriage. Amy and I had talked about an anniversary, you know, present for each other. And she said, you know what, let's just not give each other presents this year. Great. This is easy. Wow, I got this marriage thing figured out, man. So guess what dumb Adam did? He took her literally. So the anniversary comes and she gives me a little gift. And I'm like, you know. We said, you know, we weren't going to get each other. What I failed to understand is that wasn't a literal deal, right? I wasn't supposed to get anything big. So I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. We understand in our life that marriage is difficult. We understand it can be hard sometimes to, to do the things that God has called us to do. But God says, if you're going to have a successful marriage... You've got to put a priority on marriage, but you've got to have a passion in marriage. The two have got to become one. Now, here's what happens. I want to talk about physical union just for a minute. I did this in the first service, and I talked to the teenagers, and it was so funny. I said, teenagers, I'm going to talk to you about something just for a second. I want you to hear this from the pulpit. And it was like somebody pushed the button. They all just kind of leaned back like this, like, what is he about to say when you talk about passion in marriage? God has placed passion in marriage as a beautiful thing. And the union of a husband and wife physically is something he's called us to. But I want you to hear something: if you're not married, you're a young person, you're contemplating marrying, whatever it is. Sexual union outside of the marriage is sin. You need to hear me say that. Now the world has sold us a bag of lies that it's just okay. The world has sold us a bag of lies that everybody's doing it. It's just the thing to do, and everybody may be doing it. It may be the thing to do, but it's not God's plan. And so girls, if there are teenage girls in here, I want you to understand something. When that young man tries to convince you to do something you don't want to do, you tell him it's not going to happen. That's not God's plan. That's not God's best. Guys, I can already hear what you're thinking. Oh, Adam, I just love her so much. You just don't understand. No, no, no. You don't love her so much. You love yourself so much. Let's just be honest about it, guys. Let's just look each other in the eye and be honest about it. Within the marriage bond... Within the context of marriage, God has given us a beautiful thing. And inside the marriage, physical union is perfect and it's God's design and it's beautiful. But outside the marriage, it shouldn't happen. So that means very clearly, if we're going to be honest about this, it should not happen during the engagement. It shouldn't happen while you're dating. It shouldn't just be a hookup, right? God says, I've given you this plan. There should be passion between a man and a woman, but it should happen within the context of marriage. That's when God can bless it. As we continue to look at this passage of Scripture, verse 5. Therefore, man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. Verse 6. So they are no longer one flesh, excuse me, they are no longer two flesh, but one. What therefore God has joined together, this is important, let not man separate. So we need to have a priority in our marriage. We need to have passion and oneness within our marriage. But thirdly, we need to understand that God is the performer of marriage, not human beings. God is the performer of marriage. The Bible says what God has joined together. You understand that? I read a quote that I really liked. It said this, anyone can have a wedding, but only God can create a marriage. I thought that was so true. man. You Think about all the extravagant marriages, the extravagant weddings we've seen over the years. The rich and famous, right? I thought about Prince Charles and Princess Diana all those years ago, and just an incredibly extravagant wedding. But what sort of a marriage did those people have? You know, it's easy to start well and to pay all the money for the nice, expensive wedding, but how are you ending? How are you allowing God to pervade your marriage? How are you understanding the fact that God has to be at the heart of our marriage? How are you understanding the fact that God is the one that actually performs the marriage? That's interesting to me. If you study through the Old Testament, you read this idea about the covenant that God has. Oftentimes you read about the covenant that God has with his people. And so you read passages of scripture that say something like this. God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. But here's the really interesting thing about the covenant. Every time you read about a covenant in the Old Testament, God is the one that initiates the covenant. And no matter what the human being does in that process, God doesn't break the covenant. So the example would be the children of Israel. God says to these people, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. And no matter what the children of Israel did, God didn't break that covenant, he still loved them. So they wander in the desert, they, they, they sin against him, they make terrible decisions. And God said, you're still my people, I still love you. And so we see examples like Genesis chapter 9 verse 8. God said to Noah and to his sons, behold, and I want you to watch what God's doing here. I, he says, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring. God establishes the covenant, not Noah. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1 and 2. When Abraham was 99 years old, and the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. You see that again? God's making the covenant. God is the initiator of the covenant. God is the performer of the covenant. Jeremiah 32, verse 37 and 38. Behold, I will gather them, this is God speaking, from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath. And in great indignation, and I will bring them back to this place, I will make them dwell in safety, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God." Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 23, "But I will save them from their backsliding, in which they sinned, I will cleanse them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God." On and on and on. it goes. We see this example, this pattern of scripture, that God establishes a covenant, and when God establishes a covenant, it cannot be broken by human beings. It's interesting when you think about this idea of covenant as it relates to the marriage because Christ is speaking of this covenant when he says the two, are no longer one, the, the, the two people are no longer two people but they're one flesh and whatever God has joined together, let not man separate. So here's what we have to understand about marriage. It certainly is a contract between a man and a woman. We get that. But more importantly, it's a covenant with God. It's a covenant with God that we're going to love each other but Lord, we're going to love you. We're going to covenant with you that we're going to place you first in our marriage. And when we stand before each other and we give each other these vows and we promise to love and we do all the things we're supposed to do and we say the things we're supposed to do, within that context, that becomes a covenant now between us and you. And what God has put together, let not man separate. But here's the neat thing about the covenants of the Old Testament. We study the covenants and how God was their God and they were God's people, but at the heart of the covenant, you need to understand this, this is very important, At the heart of the covenant was God's love for His people. That's why the covenant was established. God said, I love you so much, I'm going to form this covenant with you. I love you so much that I want to be your God. And so we read all kind of examples in Scripture about God's love for us. About how God is love. About how He gives things to us in love. And He shows us all sorts of love. And over and over and over we see the love of God in the Scripture. So we need to understand this idea of covenant And this idea of God's love in the center of that covenant frames our understanding of marriage. It certainly is a relationship between a husband and wife. But more importantly than that, it's the foundation that God says, this is going to be a covenant. This is the way that you can show your love for one another. This is the way you can show your love for me. It's interesting if you read Ephesians chapter 5, and I don't have time this morning to really get into Ephesians chapter 5, you should read it. And you should read it specifically to understand the picture of the marriage is a picture of Christ and his love for the church. That's what Paul says. Paul says, just as Christ loved the church, so the husband should love the wife and give himself for her. So we, we see marriage when we understand the covenant and we see God's love and we understand the picture of the church. We have to frame marriage in a little bit of a different understanding here. Marriage is an opportunity for us as believers to show the love of Christ to the world. It's an opportunity for us for us to to, to really present the picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we love one another, and as we love God, we show the love of Christ to the world. We show the love of God to the world. And we help people understand the importance of our marriage and how it creates this foundation of who we are, but this foundation of our society. And it's this rock upon which Christ has built our society all through history. Now I wish as we think through marriages and we talk through marriages I, I wish all marriages were strong but I know they're not and I know if we kind of drew out the spectrum here from from really struggling to really strong we'd have people on both ends and all in between but I want you to understand understand something this morning before I finish I just I, don't, I want you to hear me say this God has got a plan for marriage and he's got kind of this blueprint for what a marriage ought to look like and he talks about the priority and he talks about the passion and he, he talks about the, 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 the performer, how he's the one that actually performs the marriage and brings the people together. But because God has a plan and because God has a purpose, I want you to hear me now. No matter where you are on this spectrum, there's hope for you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes that you've made. There is forgiveness and there is hope because this is God's plan is no matter what struggles you've been having, no matter what things you've said or what terrible decisions you made, at the foot of the cross, there's forgiveness and there's hope. And I want you this morning as you think through your marriage, as you think through all God has done for you, I want you to cling to that hope and I want you to cling to that picture and I want you to be reminded of all that Christ has done for you and all He will continue to do for you if you'll pray for Him and you'll seek Him and you'll build your marriage upon the foundations that He lays out so clearly in scripture, Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this word this morning, for this text. We thank you for this scripture that's so clear, Father, for, for just kind of a foundational understanding of exactly what the Bible says about marriage. What I pray we would, all of us would make marriage a priority. That we would take all the things that hinder us from doing what you've called us to do and from loving our spouse and we set all those things aside. But Lord, because all those things are not important. You've called us, Lord, to... Take marriage and make it a priority in life. Lord, I pray that we would see very clearly the passion, the importance of the passion, and the two becoming one, Lord, in all areas of our life. And then ultimately, Lord, I hope that we would see our marriage as a, as, a, as a covenant, certainly between one another, Lord, but between us and you. And at the heart of that covenant is our love for you and our love for our spouse. Lord, I pray you would just increase that love. Lord, increase that ability to understand. Mend where there's brokenheartedness, Father fix the issues at hand, whatever those may be, Lord, I I pray you would just work in the hearts of these men and women. I pray you would work in the minds and the hearts of the marriages here right now, Father, that are struggling. I pray you would offer them peace and ultimately, Lord, through the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that you offer them forgiveness. And so wherever they are, wherever they've been, Lord, I pray you would lift them up, wash over them with a peace that passes all understanding. Father, may your name be glorified in all the earth. It's in Jesus' precious name that we pray. Amen. You can stand. We're going to give you just a few minutes if you want to come and pray. Maybe you want to pray right where you are. Maybe you want to pray about your marriage. Maybe you know another marriage that's struggling and you want to kind of stand in the gap for that person and pray for that person. We're going to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But this is your time right now. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. We invite you to visit our campus at 3794 Hamilton Road in LaGrange, Georgia. Or visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.